Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about some very fundamental things right now, things that absolutely will change the life that you live in this world. Famously, the Paths of the Just by Rav Moshe Chaim Lusato, the Ramchal, you know, he says that basically I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't know. You already know it. But then he says something amazing. He says, those things which we already know are the things that we forget the most easily. <laughs> so it's the things, it's so ironic. It's everything is so inside out. The things that we already know, which are the most essential things in the world, are the things that need the most review because they're the things that we're the most likely to forget. That's astounding, actually, because we tend to think of the path to wisdom or the path to being knowledgeable as, you know, my bank account of information is very low. And as I increase my bank account of information, I get smarter and smarter. But this is actually, and that's what everybody thinks. And yet, that's actually the opposite of what the Ramchal is saying. He's saying, you already know the most important things, and those are the things that you're absolutely going to forget the most quickly. Therefore, you must review the things that you already know the most intensively. So that's astounding. That's astounding. And it revolves around this question, which is, do you believe that all that exists can be seen with your eye? That's the question, and we're going to develop this, and, and there are many, many domino effects to this question. Let me ask it again. Just try to hear the question. Do you believe that all that exists can be seen with your eye? And this really taps into a, a larger question, and it's the whole question of the classic Greek way of viewing life and prizing rational thought. In other words, the Greeks famously put into play, if it's not rational, then it must be superstition. In other words, if it can't be mathematically explained or through a series of logical proofs, then it has to be the realm of the imagination and not real. And so... The Greeks actually did a, a great service in many ways because they cut through a lot of the ridiculous falsehood that had grown up around different pagan religions and things like that and were able to dismiss it all as fantasy. However, you know, there is a concept of what we say, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, you, you give a baby a bath, and now you want to get rid of the dirty water. But the baby is not the dirty water. You do not want to throw the baby out when you throw out the dirty bath water. In other words, you don't want to throw out the truth while you're getting rid of falsehood. And to a large extent, anyone who sort of like narrows into this super rationalistic way of looking at life will end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Let me put it in a different language. Reb Shlomo said 
one time I heard him say, it made a big impression on me. And again, this is just so part and parcel with his genius, how he was able to sum up the, the largest concepts in the simplest language. So he put it like this. He said, the world does not work in a one plus one equals two way. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, it's, it's all there. The world does not function in a one plus one equals two way. And this sort of like highlights part of the dissonance that goes on in terms of our processing of reality. Because on the one hand, we prize the rational and we should prize the rational. And we hold on to this idea that one plus one absolutely equals two. And it does, it does in, to, to an extent. And yet when we look at our own lives and we look at the rhythms of the world and how events unfold, we absolutely know that the world does not work on a one plus one equals two way. <laughs> because otherwise, how can you explain the fact that constant surprises are taking place and things that we could never expect and things that the odds absolutely dictate will never happen, happen on a regular basis. So this is part of the drama of the human narrative, which is on the one hand, all we can do is operate on the assumption that one plus one equals two. And on the other hand, all of our experience tells us that one plus one does not equal two. <laughs> So what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? So we have to we have to analyze it a little bit further. And what I've told you is two contradictory aspects of how the world operates. And what I would like to do is introduce a new word into the conversation. I don't know if this is my word by the way or if this is in the dictionary. It's probably in the dictionary, but whatever. And that's to make the distinction between what people will call the irrational, meaning not rational, meaning nonsense, right? Making the distinction between these two words, the irrational and the super rational. Okay, so what is the super rational? Okay, so the super rational is that which is rational but it's above our ability to arrive at it on our own. In other words, it's beyond our ability to understand, and yet it's equally true. So let me develop this idea. You see, there's only so much the human mind can fathom. And there are two schools of thought about that. And we'll, we'll get into all of these things, but, but let's, let's just go down this path for a while. A friend of mine, early in my spiritual journey, asked me a question that's been staying with me ever since. And I love it so much, again, because of how much he was able to capture in this one simple, simple thought. He asked me, can an ant outthink a man? And I was like, no, an ant can't outthink a man. And then he said, 
well then how can man outthink God? So I was like, wow, okay. I get it. I get it. You see, there's something somewhat hilarious about the way many people, and especially intelligent people, go through life. And it's something that people don't really question, but I just want to shine a light on it right now. Which is that God, who makes the entire world, and who makes us, also made our brains. God created our brains. And then we use our brain, which is a limited creation, and with it, we tell God what he is and isn't capable of. It, that should have you rolling in the aisles, right? God makes our limited intelligence, and then with our limited intelligence, we then tell God what he is and isn't capable of. Now, again, I told you there are two schools of thought on this. One is that the objective truth is that God exists and that God created us and therefore we are finite and God is infinite and therefore we will never know everything. Because by definition, the only way to know absolutely everything is to be God and only God is God. Remember, I've shared with you before this awesome Torah, awesome, awesome, awesome Torah. I think one of the greatest Torahs, especially for our generation, from the Kutzka Rebbe, he says, I would never worship a God I understood. And my understanding of that is because if you completely understand God, then you're also God. So what do you need God for? In other words, the premise of God is that you can't completely understand him. Now, that's very challenging for a lot of people because they're like, you know something? All right, I'm sort of interested in the mitzvahs and this and that, you know, but I'm not going to do anything unless I fully understand it. Because otherwise, I'm like an idiot, right? I'm buying into something I can't fully understand. But don't you understand? You will never fully understand it. That that's That's the thing. And then also just the, you know... As, a, as an aside, all of the things that we constantly access on a daily basis, in every aspect of our life, things that we don't understand. Do you, can you build a computer? Do you know how the internet works? Do you know exactly what aspirin does when you take it? And yet these are things that we have no issue whatsoever accessing on a regular basis. One school of thought is recognizing this objective reality. There's a God who created us we're finite, God is infinite, and therefore we can never fully understand everything. The other school of thought is, hey, wait a second, calm down, relax. We're going to get there. We will get there. And just like there are so many things we didn't know in the early stages of human civilization, and we know those things now, all of those things that we don't know yet we have faith, and I'm emphasizing the word faith because it's coming in a surprising context. We have faith in science that science will ultimately solve all of these problems. So now you have, again, two interesting things stemming from this. One, in the realm that 
we will understand absolutely everything, which is certainly not the Torah perspective. Because the Torah perspective is God is infinite and we're finite. And even though we'll climb infinite realms, getting closer and closer and closer to God, and that that's our destiny, and that our comprehension will expand exponentially and, and keep on expanding. But God is infinite, so we'll never actually catch God, right? Even as our knowledge and our awareness is expanding. So that would be the Torah perspective. The more secular, humanistic perspective is that, no, 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 no. We will know everything. It just is a matter of time. Because we have faith, again, ironic use of the word faith, because this is coming from not a belief in God, but faith in our scientists, that our scientists will unravel and solve all these mysteries. This is actually a word in the dictionary. It's called scientism. Believe it or not, you don't hear that in daily conversation, but that is a word. Scientism, you can look it up. And it means belief in science, almost like a religious belief in science. The other aspect of it is just a more idealistic view of what human beings are capable of. That we will know everything. Okay. So again, that's not the Torah perspective. If you want a visual of the Torah perspective, imagine a cup of water, right? An empty cup. That's your brain. Now here's the question. Can that cup hold all the water in all the oceans? <laughs> it can't. The answer, the answer is no. It's not debatable. It's not. The answer is no. You've got one cup and you've got all the oceans of the world. How can one cup hold all the water of all the oceans of the world? And the answer is it can't. And that is more the perspective that we take. Again, that's the, the interfacing between the finite and the infinite. Now, I want to go into the letters, the Hebrew letters. Remember, God created the world out of the Hebrew letters. And we call Hebrew Lashon HaKodesh, the Holy Tongue, because Torah is kind of like the, the, the building blocks of reality. And I always like to quote Reb Shlomo. He said it so beautifully. He said that when the wind rustles through the trees, the sound that it makes is in Hebrew. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Because it's the language of nature. So there's a tremendous insight that Hebrew itself remembers. So when you look at a Hebrew word, what you're doing is you're looking at an X-ray of the essence of that thing. And by the way, they say by certain, they say by Adam Harishon, right? The first person in the Garden of Eden, when God told him to name all the animals, to name everything, that then, and remember this was before we ate, from the tree of knowledge. So the world was like totally pure and crystalline and just like you could just see the emis, you could see the truth in, in all of nature and everything like this. And so the Kabbalists say that when Adam would name something, he could see the Hebrew letters that were combined in order to form it. Isn't that interesting? 
So to give an give an example, I'm under just a tree. You know, eitz is is ayin tzadi. So he saw in a tree the the active energy of these two letters, and he could just sort of like read the name of what the thing was, and that's how he went around naming everything. So, so, so here you see just a, a very vivid example, and they, they talk about how tzaddikim, I believe they say this about the Alter Rebbe, by the way, that tzaddikim, that the Alter Rebbe at the end of his life, like, could look at things and he would see the letters that were, like, activating them. So this is, like, a level that, theoretically, that if you refine yourself and if you're holy enough, that you can even reach in, in your lifetime today. Amazing, amazing idea. So let's look at the words, since we're talking about the nature of the world, and what are we capable in the world, and what is the world, and how does it reflect on the human condition, and everything like this. It should all be in the word world, right? And it is. Amazing insights that we're going to get. Coming up. Okay, here it is. So the word world is olam. Okay, olam. Very good. And the root of the world, right? Like, like if someone came up to me and said to me, how much would you pay right now to know what the root of the world is? I'd say, yeah, that's, that's at least worth 10 bucks. <laughs> at least. Um, the root of the word world, the, the root of the word world is elam. Ayin lamid mem. So what does that mean? And you ready for this? It means hidden. So isn't that interesting that the word for world in Hebrew, the root of the word for world is hidden or hiddenness. So, so what's hidden? God. God is hidden in this world. And that's, that's the amazing thing, because God absolutely fills this world, and he's simultaneously hidden in this world. It's the most amazing thing in the entire world. And the funny thing is, is that when you're aware of the fact that God fills this world, and that there is nothing that doesn't have his essence in it, everywhere you look, you'll see God. Once you know the secret that God is absolutely everywhere, then all of a sudden he's no longer hidden. <laughs> you see him in every single person. You see him in cement. You see him in the leaves on trees. You see him in the clouds in the sky. God is absolutely everywhere, right? So he can go in one moment from completely hidden to absolutely wherever you look. And that's... that. That's the switch that we want to turn on in our brain. And if you learn Torah, that's the switch that will actually go off in your brain. You'll be able to actually see and dwell within godliness the entirety of your life. And you'll realize that you're never alone. And you'll realize that in every obstacle and every challenge that we face, that that's God reaching out to us. I mean, it's, 
And that's the truth. That, that's, that's, it's even more mind-blowing because that's actually the truth. So I want to look at this word for hiddenness and, and also compare it to the word world itself. So the root of the word for world, which means hiddenness, doesn't have the letter Vav. Okay, so we're going to get into the letter Vav now. So how do you survive the hiddenness of this world? That's the question. How do you function in a world where everyone tells you that one plus one equals two, and yet that just isn't your experience? Your experience is one plus one equals more than two. So so how does it all come together? Well, there's this letter Vav, right? The word world has the letter Vav. The word hidden does not have the letter Vav. So how do you survive the hiddenness of this world? By holding on to the letter Vav. That's the answer. Okay, now I'm going to tell you what that means. What does it mean to hold on to the letter Vav? So, whenever we talk about the holiest name of God, Yudke Vavke, I always tell you to picture it like a ladder, right? You have the letter Yud on the top, that represents the highest, highest, highest infinite realms. Then underneath that, you have the letter He, right? Reb Tzadok HaKohen says, says that stands for the next world. Then you have the letter Vav. And then underneath that, you have the letter He, the bottom letter He. And all the Rebbes, everyone says the bottom letter He stands for this world, where this dimension that we dwell in, which is called Olamasiya, or the world of action. That's why, like, doing stuff is so important. And that's why Torah is, revolves around the mitzvot, which are all action directives, because we live in the world of action. And, you know, it's beautiful to have, like, good thoughts, but Judaism is much more practical. In the end, Judaism wants to know, okay, it's holy and it's good that, you, that you're thinking good things, but what are you actually doing, Right? That, that's why, because we live in the world of action. So again, you've got the Yudke Vavke, and it's, it also functions, it's functioning on many levels, but it's also functioning as this cosmic map of reality. Now, the letter Vav, remember, we're in the bottom letter He, the letter Vav, Vav is a connector. And you know that in Hebrew grammar, if you have V at the beginning of a word, it means and right, or or. It's, it's connecting things. So the letter Vav is connecting this realm that we live in, this dimension that we live in, to the higher worlds. So, so what did I tell you? I said that the word for world comes from the root hidden, because really everything is hidden in this world. In fact, I heard Rabbi Sitran, Rabbi Chaim Sitran, the elder Rabbi Sitron, say that when he was in yeshiva, he asked his rabbi that it says that this, that God is, is, that this is the most hidden God is in all the worlds. So, in this world. So he asked, well, 
how do we know that he's that there are not more worlds that he's not more hidden in than this world? That was his question. And his rabbi said something just amazing. He said that if God were any more hidden in this world, then if you looked for him, you wouldn't be able to find him. So in other words, God is the most hidden he can possibly be in this world where if you look for him, you can still find him. So so how do we survive that? How do we survive the hiddenness of God in this world? Now remember, the word world has this extra letter than the word hidden does, and that's the letter Vav. So if we hold on to the Vav, which Vav? The Vav of the Yudke Vavke. If we hold on to the connection between this world and the higher worlds, then that's our elevator ride to the truth. (laughs) You see, and now we've got a better perspective to understand this word that I was using before, the super rational. See, the idea is that the mind can only comprehend so much. But if we hold on to the mitzvot of the Torah, if we hold on to the truth of the Torah, then that allows us to access realms that we wouldn't be able to get there on our own through our own rationality. In other words, we get to enter into realms that are beyond us. We get to enter into infinite realms, the realms of objective truth by holding on to the vav of the Torah. Now listen to this. Yaakov, you know, the different avos have, have, have different attributes. Avraham is chesed, that's kindness. Yitzchak is gvura, that's like strength. And Yaakov is the reconciliation of the two of them, and his mida. His essence is truth. And not just truth, the truth of Torah, which is truth. Torah emet. We say, titen emes li Yaakov. That Yaakov has been given truth. And that's the truth of the Torah. Now, interestingly, remember I told you, how are we going to survive the hiddenness of this world? The How are we going to survive the the Elam of the Olam, by holding on to the letter Vav. Now with that in mind, understanding that Yaakov stands for truth, five different places in the Torah, Yaakov is spelled with an extra letter. Any, any guesses what that letter is? Well, if you guess the letter Vav, you're correct. <laughs> five different places, Yaakov is spelled with the extra letter Vav. All right, you ready for this part now? In five different places, Eliyahu is missing the letter Vav. So the rabbis teach the following. Yaakov is holding on to the five Vavs of Eliyahu as collateral because what does Eliyahu do? Eliyahu announces the arrival of Mashiach. So Yaakov is holding on to Eliyahu's vav, making sure that Eliyahu is going to come and announce Mashiach. 
Now let's look at it from another perspective. How do we survive the hiddenness of this world? By holding on to the letter Vav. Now what did I just tell you? That it's mentioned five times. Five times Yaakov has this extra letter Vav. And that stands for, I'd like to say, the five books of the Torah. In other words, if you want to know what it means, practically speaking, in your own life, to hold on to the letter Vav, it means to attach yourself to the Torah and to the mitzvot of the Torah. And the question is, how are we going to survive this exile? So Yaakov is telling us, you know something? Don't just hold on to the truth, but hold on to the fact that Mashiach is coming. Right? Because Yaakov is holding on to the five loves of, of Eliyahu who announces Mashiach. In other words, we have to understand that this world is not just one that we have to survive, but we have to make this world thrive. Our job is not just to survive this world. Our job is to transform this world. And that's the idea of holding on to the Vav of Eliyahu. We're not just holding on to the Torah, right? The five Vavs equaling the five books of the Torah, equaling Yaakov, who is Torah, in order to survive the hiddenness of this world. But you have to also hold on to the dreams and the understanding that this world is going to transform and it's going to evolve into its next stage. As I always like to say, we believe in evolution more than Darwin believes in evolution. Darwin said that there's a single cell and then we evolved into this complex organism based on this single cell. Now, by the way, you can ask a good question. Where did that cell come from? <laughs> who created that cell? And who created all of time and space for that cell to exist in? That, that's another question, okay? Of, of course it's God. But anyway, that aside, we believe in evolution even more. You know why? Because we say that humanity and the world itself is continuing to evolve and that it's evolving toward perfection. And that that's what God had in mind at the outset of creation. That that was always the plan. You know, one of my all-time favorite, favorite, favorite Torahs. Reb Shlomo says, everybody loves a finished product. Right? We're talking about the world evolving to its, to its finished state. He's, Reb Shlomo says, everybody loves you when you're a grape. And everybody loves you when you're wine. He says, but do you know what a grape has to go through to become wine? How much it has to be stepped on and crushed? So he says, who loves you when you're in between? He says, the people who do, those are your real friends. Right? Those are your real friends. The people who love you when you're in between. And I wanted to just add on to that Torah and say, who loves God while there's still evil in the world, while the world is still broken, before Mashiach comes? Who loves God then? Those are his real friends. So, so this is where we are. And I'm going to go back to the, the first question that I asked 
right back at the beginning, which is, do you believe that everything that exists can be seen with the eye? And the amazing thing is, is that science itself has evolved in a very dramatic way from the way that I characterized Greek thought in the beginning, which is that if you can't see it, it's not real. It has to be rational. But now, what is considered rational has now become more expansive, which is something can be true even if you don't see it. Now, I wrote up kind of an overview of what I just shared with you, but, but adding this amazing quote from Robert Jastrow. I actually had the privilege of taking a class with him uh, in astronomy at Harvard. And I'm going to read you a piece that I wrote, and this will be included in uh, a book that I'm going to be coming out with, God willing, soon, called The Book of Closeness. And it's, it's just a bunch of short chapters, and here, here's one of the chapters. And it's very much a, kind of an overview of what we've been discussing. I call it The World of the Unseen. And here's a quote now from Robert Jastrow. And at the time, he was a professor of geophysics at Columbia University and director of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. Okay, so, so his, his academic bona fides are like triple A. Okay, now listen to what he says. One of the great, great quotes. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance he is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Okay, now I just sort of use that as an introduction for the following short piece. Do you believe that all that exists can be seen with your eyes? Or are there realms that exist, some dwarfing even our own, that remain completely hidden. Up until recently, if you attested to the unseen, you were called a believer. For good reason. The unseen was the ballroom where mystics gathered. Then slowly but surely, scientists started crashing the party. When Louis Pasteur discovered that the microbes in unpasteurized milk were causing illness, the villagers laughed at him. How can germs be there if you can't see them? But Pasteur was right and they were wrong. Countless lives were saved and microbiology was born. Today, physicists, astronomers, and mathematicians all understand that there are entire dimensions beyond our own that exist that can't be seen. I don't know if they've given those unseen dimensions names yet, but I wonder if one day, they'll realize it's heaven. So what's the answer? What's the answer? How do we get through it all? By holding on to the vav. And Hanukkah is coming. And I shared this thought and someone came up to me and they said something so beautiful. They said, you know what the vav is? The vav is a candle. Isn't that awesome? The vav is a candle. And it's so... It's so perfect because what was Hanukkah? 
Hanukkah was that battle with the Greeks. The Vav is a candle. It's that light that illuminates the infinite. So, let me just, uh, let me just finish by telling you a, a story that happened to me after I had my first child. One of my, one of my favorite stories. So my son, Moshe, was, he was just, uh, I don't know how old he was, but super young. And, you know, I guess all new parents go through this when your child is crying, like, like, like babies don't just cry. They, they, they scream, you know, it's a, it's a scream cry. So, so it's so alarming, especially as a parent, like you, you don't want your child to be in any pain whatsoever. So whatever you can do to stop the crying. And I realized that, that, that he was hungry. And so I, I was holding him and I, I, I went about to start making a bottle. And I'm, I'm making the bottle and it, all of this is taking place right in front of him. And he's still screaming, crying, screaming, crying. And, and I can't really understand it because the, the, the thing that, that he wants the most... I'm, I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm right in the process of doing. And finally, I, I've got the bottle all made and I bring the bottle closer to him. He's still crying closer. He's still crying. And then I put it in his mouth and he stops crying. And not long after that, someone explained to me that, that babies, like newborn, they they can only see a few inches in front of their eyes. And so all of this was taking place right in front of his face, but, but he didn't have the eyes to see it. And I thought, wow, that's us and God. God is doing all of these things, like right in front of our eyes, and we don't have the eyes to see it. All these salvations are being prepared. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because we have this we have this idea. In Psalm one twenty one, it says that you know, David Melech is writing that he he looks up in uh, he looks up to the mountains and he asks, "Where's my salvation going to come from?" And if you actually look at the Hebrew, the Vilna Gon says, it doesn't mean from where. Me'ayin, it means out of nothing. Ain means nothing. From out of nothingness, my salvation will arrive. Meaning to say, we talk about how the salvation, how salvation can arrive, keheref ayin, in the blink of an eye. Meaning, you don't have what you need, and the next moment, the phone rings. Or you don't, let's say you're single, right? You want to get married. You, you're not. You haven't met the person. And then you walk into a Starbucks, and you, you know, somehow conversation starts up with someone online. And the next thing you know, there it is, out of nowhere. Just It just happened. You just met the person. So on the one level... 
it seems like God is manifesting things out of nothingness. And that's how we perceive it. But can I tell you something so much cooler? Let me give you another visual. You know, you plant a seed and it looks like it's just disappeared underground. And then at a certain time later, all of a sudden, a green shoot pops through the ground. <laughs> and it looks like it came out of nowhere, right? Like it was gone for so long and now there it is. It's back and it's better than ever. But you know what? Unseen to the eye, there was life and there was activity going on the entire time. But it was unseen, unperceived by us. So you know what? As much as it seems like I want to meet my Bashert, right? I want to meet my soulmate. And then I walked into the I walked into the Starbucks and it it happened out of nowhere. But unseen to the eye, God was planning your salvation for years and years and years. who knows how long, from before you were born even. And, and, and that's what it is. We don't have the eyes to see it, but when it appears, when it finally appears and it, it, can, it can appear suddenly, it's not going to be manifesting out of nothingness. It's going to be something that was being slowly weaved in front of our eyes, but we just didn't have the eyes to see it. But you know what? A lot of people say that seeing is believing. But what I'm telling you right now is something so much deeper. Believing is seeing. Because if you have the ability to believe, if you can connect to the Vav, which is the connection between this world and the next, our entrance to the super-rational, to those thoughts which are beyond us right now. That candle, that vav, that light, that dream of Mashiach, the vavs of Eliyahu, right? If you can actually invest yourself with the power of belief, you will be able to see. Because what is belief? Belief is actually just seeing objective reality that's beyond you. I hope that's clear. In other words, belief for most people is synonymous with hope. I hope it happens. I hope it happens. But there's a realm where it's already true. It just hasn't happened yet. You don't have to hope it happens because it's already true. <laughs> It's already true. And so through your belief, you will see what is going to become true right now. So it says in the Holy Temple that the, the blessing for livelihood, for Parnosa, would, would, would come down to the Shulchan, the table where they had all the chalas, and then it would radiate to the rest of the world, that blessing. So... So your Shabbos table is like the Shulchan. It's compared to the Shulchan. That's actually just on a practical level why many people don't sit on tables because that's considered disrespectful. 
to, to sit on a table because a table has this holy status. It's compared to the shulchan in, in the Beis HaMikdash. So anyway, so the blessing for livelihood for Parnosa is going down to the shulchan where all the chalas are, where all the bread is, and then it's radiating to the rest of the world. So if your table, your Shabbos table is compared to that place in the Holy Temple, when you hold the chalas up, and the chalas are in the shape of a vav, I've often thought to myself that, that that's the vav of the yudke vavke. In other words, that's the conduit that the blessing is coming down into this world. And then I had a question on it. I was really very excited about that thought for a period of time. And then I thought to myself, but wait a second. You're holding up two chalas. That's two vavs. Really, we're only talking about one vav. So, so I, I had a question on my thought. And then I realized, I, I learned, that the word vav in Hebrew is spelled vav-vav. So vav is actually spelled with two vavs. And then I was happy again. <laughs> so, so Rav Cook said very, very interestingly that atheists are one step from the truth. And <laughs> what he meant by that was that they've eliminated all falsehood. And now they're just now they just need the truth. So to to give credit to the Greeks, they they were very effective in sort of like shining a light on the falsehood of superstition. Meaning to say they, they were very effective in, in eradicating things that were just outlandish and not true. But but now we have to just sort of like complete the cycle and create that balance where the rational can coexist harmoniously with the super rational. In other words, to to acknowledge that there's only so much we can understand and to find that harmonious balance between that which we can take responsibility for and quantify and that larger aspect to reality which exists that we can be in touch with and in harmony with. And that's what Torah and that's what the mitzvot allow us to do. They allow us to coexist in this world and in the higher realm in the higher realms simultaneously. I'll give you a, another sort of like uh, iteration of this. The, the mitzvot are divided into different categories. Some of them are very rational. For instance, what's considered a very rational mitzvah is honoring your parents. And we see that all the nations of the world basically have this idea of, of honoring your parents. By the way, I'll just tell you a PS. I saw this... Um, it's a little a little Greek parable that uh, Gertrude Stein brought in the introduction of a poem. It's about a a Greek son who's dragging his father through this very rocky field, and it's very painful. And the father cries out at one point to his son and says, "Stop! I didn't f- stop. I didn't drag my father past this point." <laughs> Which, I love that, because 
And I thought about it for a long time. I was like, why do I love that so much? What, what is it actually saying? And what I think it's saying is that each generation outrages the previous generation and is then newly outraged by the next generation. <laughs> so it's almost like each generation's job is to outrage the previous and then be outraged by the next, you know? So the question is, how can we live harmoniously? with that which is knowable, which is the one plus one equals two world, which does exist, by the way, and the one plus one doesn't equal two world. And so there's a category in mitzvahs called chukim, and a chok means something that can't be understood by rational thought. So the classic example that they always give is shatnitz, which is that you can't wear a garment that has wool and linen in it at the same time. And the question is, why? Why shouldn't I utilize them together? And the answer is, is because there is some sort of interplay between them, which is harmful. And that is not revealed to us in this world, but that is an objective truth that's beyond our understanding. And so the amazing thing is, is that by keeping shotnitz and not mixing the two, we get to live in this world with the truth of the higher worlds. You see, the mitzvahs connect us beyond our rational thought is capable of comprehending. But it doesn't just bring us to this higher level. It allows us to access that higher level that we'd never arrive at on our own and bring it down into this world. That's amazing. So that's another aspect of the letter Vav. It doesn't just bring us up, but it also allows the higher world to come down into this world. You know, there there's so many people who are like, you know, super geniuses. And I'm not saying that ironically. I, I mean that just like on an IQ level. And yet, I wonder if they don't understand that, that there are realms beyond us and there's a God, right? Then, then I think the simple believing person is smarter than them. I, I really do. Because, you know, you can know absolutely everything and know nothing at the same time. Like Paro. Paro is the architect of the greatest ancient civilization that third graders around the world 2,000 years later to this day are studying. And Paro says to Moshe, who is God that I should listen to him? Mm -hmm. And our tradition is that he also knew all these like dark magic and, you know, all sorts of supernatural things. And yet he didn't know God. So I almost have compassion these hyper-intellectual people who aren't aware of the premise of reality. But what can we do? You know, as I like to say, God exists whether you believe in him or not. You know? <laughs> and what's amazing about God is God continues to give you life whether you believe in him or not. If you want to know how compassionate God is. The irony is, as counterintuitive as this is going to sound, but when we talk about genius on the IQ level, genius can actually blind a person. I, I once heard Rabbi Green talk about, like, can you imagine someone going to the gym every day 
but they only work out one muscle in their body. So, and he made like this really funny face where a person had this bulging eye, like, like he had gone to the gym every day and just exercise the one eye's muscle. And so it's like, you know, like his one eye was like eight times the size of his other eye. So the idea is that when someone is a genius with some crazily high IQ, it can actually weirdly be a handicap. Because what happens is a lot of times the rational side becomes this muscle which sort of overshadows the other aspects of consciousness. And so while it is this gateway to understanding things that other people absolutely will never understand, at the same time, it can actually block them from other types of thought, like non-rational thought. But my wife uh, always says that she doesn't want our kids to marry geniuses. And she has this phrase, which is one below. She says, we want one below in our family. No genius is allowed. <laughs> so it says Yitzchak was blind. And there's, there's a way of expressing yourself that the Torah teaches us, which is not to use negative language when describing things. Try to, try to emphasize the positive. And we learn that from God himself, because when God tells Noah to take kosher animals and unkosher animals, both of them onto the ark, he doesn't say, take the tahor and the tame, which in Hebrew means pure and unpure. He says, take the tahor and the ones that are not tahor, right? So he doesn't use the word tame. Like Reb Shlomo was always very careful he wouldn't say no, he would go, not so much. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he would talk about when every year when it came to Rosh Hashanah, he would say there's the book of life and the book of not so much. Right? He wouldn't he wouldn't want to use he wouldn't want to use the word. So the sages talk like this also. And it's a it's a way of speaking called Sagi Nohar, that when they use the word blind because we're talking about Yitzchak right now, they don't use the word blind. The, the, the word that the sages use to express blindness is flooded with light. Isn't that interesting? Flooded with light wow. is, is the word that they use for blind. Now, what does the Medrash tell us in terms of the loss of eyesight in, in, from Yitzchak? How did he become flooded with light? And the answer is like awesome and very much connects to everything we've been talking about. It says that by the Akedah, right? So he's all tied up and he's ready to give every atom of his being, every, every iota of himself over to God. It says that the angels cried and that the teardrops from the angels went into his eyes. And that's what caused him to not be able to see anymore. Now, let's connect that to what we're talking about right now. 
what is the ultimate way of seeing? It's connecting yourself from this world to the next world and to be able to see objective reality, right? What happened with Yitzchak? Yitzchak got the teardrops from angels. In other words, he got the vision of angels in this world. And yet we call that being blind. You know why? Because you're able to see only the truth, which means you're blind to all the lies of this world. So it's, it's just this, it's like he saw even more. But when you've got that level of seeing in this world, you're going to see things very, very differently. So in other words, it would allow you, so to speak, to see the fact that buried within Esav is something good. And remember, who's buried in the cave of the patriarchs? Well, we've got Adam and Eve, we've got Abraham and Sarah, we've got Isaac and Rivka, we've got Yaakov and Leah, and the head of Esav, <laughs> which is just like one of the wild things. The decapitated head of Esav is in there too. And, you know, it's so deep, it's endlessly deep, it's a whole other topic, but it means that there's some good in Esav. Let's just leave it at that. But, but then you've got Rivka. Rivka who's saying, okay, yeah, there's some good in Esav, but is Esav the person who's going to carry our mission on for all eternity? Or is it going to be Yaakov? And so, you know, the amazing thing is, is that you need eyes of this world also. So I don't want to say, chas v'shalom, God forbid, that, that there was something lacking in Yitzchak, but he had this level of these angels' tears in his eyes, which gave him this view of this world, which was flooded with light. And so you are seeing the ultimate truth. It's funny because it's the counterpoint to what we've been saying up until now. You need to be able to put the light of the next world into this world. But this world has its own special wavelength as well, which a person has to be sensitive to. In other words, you have to be a little bit of a realist. Like Reb Shlomo said it, he said, the hardest thing in the world is to have your feet on the ground and your head in the clouds at the same time. You know, there are a lot of people, they just have their feet on the ground and they're total literalists, and they get it, but they don't get it. They're just too, like, feet on the ground. And you've got other people who've got their head in the clouds, and they can tell you the most extraordinary things, and they'll be three hours late for an appointment, or they won't show up at all. And the world can't run that way either. So the hardest thing is to have your feet on the ground and your head in the clouds. So this world also has its special language that a person has to be sensitive to. And Rivka was somehow more kind of like in tune with that. And so the glory of Yitzchak on, on one level is that he was able to see the ultimate truth because his eyes were absolutely flooded with light. But at the same time, it may not have been the greatest navigating tool for getting the blessing to the right person at that moment, which is what Rivka had. It's, it's a big topic. 
the only thing I would add to what you're saying is, is something I heard one time, which I always thought was very fascinating, that of all the holy couples, um, meaning the our holy mothers and fathers, there's conversations that are recorded between Abraham and Sarah, and there are conversations that are recorded between Yaakov and Rachel and Yaakov and, and Leah. But there are no conversations recorded in the Torah at all between Yitzhak and Rivka. So that's really interesting. So I think that their connection was super deep. You know, it says that Yitzhak loved her. It, it, in other words, the Torah is being so precious about the words that it's using for us to understand their relationship. And one of the foundations of us understanding the relationship was that it was built on love. So anything that we're going to posit in terms of their level of communication has to be founded on the fact that they absolutely loved each other. And so in every marriage, you have the revealed aspects, which the community sees, and you've got the hidden aspects, which nobody sees. And so they really represent that aspect of marriage that nobody sees, right? So that, you know, you, you see the couple, but you, on the other hand, you really don't see the couple because it's all hidden from the eye. Um, get across to us that in this world, we can do mitzvahs and even though, but the next world, that's what's wrong. We can't do mitzvahs. So um, he started, he was discussing the red heifer. Um, and he said, he put it this way. He said, if you, and it really changed me because I was one of those people that always needed to know what was the reason for something before I was going to do it, you know? And he said, um, if you give me 10 reasons why you love Israel, I'll give you 10 reasons why you like, might like Acapulco better. <laughs> he said, why not? He said, because reason isn't where it's at. And then he started to talk about how um, it has to be on a level that is engraved in you. It's like you cherish it. And it's, he said, and it makes a little, um, uh, not a cut exactly, I forgot the word he used, but it occurs. It kind of carves um, a little space in you. And he said, you know what God does with that space? He fills it with heavenly taste. Mm. And he said, Moses didn't ask God um, to first explain things to him. You know, I should ask the master of the world to explain it to me first, and then I'll do it, you know. So it, the whole idea of that, that um, changed my whole approach to uh, trying to just do things because God knows it's the best thing for us and you know having having that kind of relationship and it changed my I don't know if it was arrogance but it's the idea that I have to ask God to explain it to me first before I'm going to do it you know so um, that's, that's awesome that's awesome thanks for listening we do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.